0: of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show Podcast. You ever thought to yourself, there's a lot of data points here. I'm not sure where I should look. Well, today I share with you a recent webinar We did with Dr. Barrett Straub and Miranda Beeson, one of our amazing coaches. It's the five secrets around data that the thriving practices we coach use. It's an awesome segment. Please listen to this. I hope you guys enjoy it. We'll see you soon. Welcome, welcome everyone to the webinar and it's going to be a great one today. Getting some great last minute feedback on data because it's, we can create a whole big conversation on this one and uh, I'm just excited you're here because we're going to be talking about a lot. And so welcome for those of you that are jumping on uh, for the first time. If you've never been to an ACT webinar, welcome. You're going to have a great time. We love this stuff. We're kind of geeks about this stuff. We're not kind of geeks. We're big geeks. Um, So we just want to welcome you to the Act Dental community. For those of you that have been here before, welcome back. And uh, you know, every question is a good one. There's no bad questions.
1: Barrett, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me again.
0: Mm -hmm. You didn't really have a choice. I told you (laughs) to be (laughs) on. And you'll see why. You know, I love this stuff. I could talk all day. Um... But it's awesome to have two amazing, brilliant minds with me today, as well as the rest of our coaches, if they're chiming in. So for those of you that haven't met Miranda Beeson, she's one of our amazing coaches here, the director of education. um, And she's going to offer a lot of insight on how data gets used in your practice and how you can really make this a competitive advantage. And Barrett Straub, he is a dentist, but he's also our integrator, our CEO. He actually runs the whole place now. So uh, it's pretty fun. So. Um, I, what do you think? Should we just jump right into it?
2: Do it.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. Cool, cool, cool. So today we're going to be talking about the five data secrets to a thriving practice. And just because you registered, you're going to get invited to one of the coolest things we do, which is the, um, to the top study club. It's uh, quarterly where we have all of our members from the act dental community come, whether they're in the pro coaching program. Uh, or they're in the study club itself, and we share best practices. We actually have a workshop next Friday, which is the 20th and the 27th, and it's a place where you can come once a quarter and get away from all of the distractions of what's going on in life, and you could think better. Being an entrepreneur is difficult. Being a dentist is difficult. Don't try to figure this out on your own. And we do them on Fridays and we give you the best information, surround you by with other people that are doing exactly the same thing or similar things. And you can just think better when you go back to your practice. So it's a lot of fun. So in your inbox, just as a result, we love it so much that we're like, come check it out. If you don't like it, just we'll shake hands and go, that was okay. And uh, you don't have to stay, but it, I know that won't happen. I know you'll love it. So you all got a golden ticket to come kick the tires and check it out. Anything you guys would add?
2: No, I love having new people in the room. We love our clients and the community that comes with To The Top. So if you haven't been, you should definitely come and check it out. And a golden ticket is the perfect way to do it.
0: It is. It is. And I forgot to share screen. So I was like talking. I, I was going to tell
2: you that, but I didn't know if you had a surprise for <laughs> You know,
0: I don't know. So uh, today we're going to be talking again about five data secrets to a thriving practice. And we're gonna cover these things in the next hour. Why data is critical to your future. I don't care if you have a sports team. I don't care if you run a dental practice. I don't care if you run a business. If you have a family, it doesn't matter. data is critical to your future. We're gonna talk about the benefits and how to use the benefits of tracking your data. And these are things that great teams understand. We're also gonna talk about what data should you be tracking. You could track everything if you wanted to, but we're gonna narrow it down to simple actionable data that would improve your practice right away. And then we're going to talk about identifying some performance gaps with data, which we love to do, and then applying countermeasures. So when you're looking at data and it's not good, what do we do? We need a countermeasure. Countermeasure gets the data back on track. And so let's start here. Why is data critical to future? Because data measures the health of your practice in a very objective way. I always say this, if you don't have any data, we're just talking data is unemotional. It is, they're just facts and they simplify a lot of the decision-making. They're facts and you can't argue with the facts. Now, Miranda, you always teach our teams this one. You can't argue with your own data. Why is that phrase so cool?
2: Because when it's coming from you and it's, it's real, it's objective. Like you said, it's not feelings. Uh, you, you, you can't argue with your own data, what you say and what you produce and what shows up in those numbers is the truth, right? The numbers don't lie. You've heard people say that as well. So it's so much easier to base decisions on the logic and the facts and the truth than our emotions. And I know you're going to go into that in just a little bit as well, but so many of us do base decisions and planning off of our feelings when the data itself doesn't lie. And we can't argue with it. If you tell me your feelings some way about something, I can be like, you know, I am an admin team member. I say, yeah, but I feel like this about it. But if we're both looking at the same piece of data, there's really no discussion to be had. It's right there. It's the truth on paper. And you really can't argue with that.
0: Yeah. My favorite part of that sentence is your data. So how this works in your practice is you can't be the one that's harvesting all the data, telling everybody about the data, looking at the data, filling in their data. No, you have to get everybody involved and they bring data. Because it's their data and they bring it, they understand it. There's always a story behind data, no matter what it is, there's a story. So, um, and again, the feeling thing is a huge thing. So feelings, so feelings, you know how this works. If you're a dentist, you have a lot of feelings. You have a feeling, I feel like we're way too busy. I feel like we have too many holes in our schedule. I don't feel like we're productive enough. I don't feel like my hygienist diagnosed enough perio. I feel like most of my AR is family and friends and uncollectible feelings. Like feelings are just dangerous places to go. And you start to tell yourself a story and feelings when it comes to me are, they can be like happy feelings, but they can also be, you know, irritation feelings. And so data just calms us. So if you're feeling any of these things, it's really good to transition away from feeling to what are we seeing? What's the data telling us? So it's powerful in this whole thing. And leading a dental practice without knowing your data and understanding it is like placing an implant with no diagnostics. Now, you could do it. Some people do. But long term, will it be successful? And Is that really the right thing to do? You know what I mean? So, um Anything you guys would add? Just, we see it all the time. People are like, I I only participate with one insurance. And I'm like, no, you actually participate with 14 and you don't even know it. So.
1: I would say, you know, from personal experience, this is how it happens in most dental practices. We're busy doing dentistry because we are the CEO of our dental practices and the assembly line. And it's hard to do both well. And so we focus on the dentistry and we don't make data collection a habit. And if it's not a habit, we just don't have the energy of time at the end of the day, end of the week, end of the month to collect it. And so we go by feelings and we tell ourselves a story in our head about what the reality of our practice. And without data, that story is fiction. And unfortunately, we make major business, long-lasting decisions based on fiction about how we feel, and so many times, and, and we see this a lot, we get deep in our careers and look back and say, darn, I shoulda, I woulda, I coulda. Had I set up a system to collect data, and with that data, I can make educated, data-driven, nonfiction decisions based on my practice. But we have to take a deep breath and say, okay, yes, I have to do dentistry. I don't have a lot of time. And therefore, back to Kirk's First comment about um, having your team help with data. We've got to set up a system so that the data is a habit, not an intentional action on by us, because that will fail because we're too busy doing dentistry.
0: Amen to that. Now, I'm an eye on the disc profile. I'm just going to tell you how data. If you have a ceiling fan in your bedroom, this is typically what you do. You stare at it at 2.30 in the morning and you just watch it go around and you get angry and you're like, Argh. When you have data, you're like, no, we're good. I looked at it like we're good. We're on path. It's diagnostic. I can use it. I can improve it. I can find out the story behind it. If I don't have any data, I'm just looking at that ceiling fan going around and around and around getting more and more frustrated. And I'm not sleeping. And you need sleep. So the best practices we find anywhere in the country, they understand why it's critical. They also understand the benefits. And you can use these benefits to improve patient care. A lot of times people think, well, it's all about money. No, it's not. When you have data, you can improve everything. You can improve efficiency. You can improve improve the care patients get. You can improve the efficacy of things that you do. It helps you understand trends. You're thinking, gosh, I saw this patient, where did she go? I don't know where she went. Or she's an active patient, she's actually not. I haven't seen her for two years type of a thing. Um, You can take a look at their treatment history and needs. And then when you know this data, you can provide a more customized approach to care and maximize the opportunities and treatment planning. And we're going to show you that in a little bit, but it's so powerful, way bigger than money. Wouldn't you guys agree?
2: Absolutely. And some of the KPIs that we look at are the data that we're looking at with the team There are some team members who get kind of turned off by talking about the numbers or looking at the numbers. So if we can always equate that to those team members to how are we affecting people in a more positive way through these numbers, that really does help to speak to the team. Because the bottom line is we need to know the data and the numbers are really important and it's important for you to be responsible for yours and what you can have an impact on. Um, But as, say, a hygienist, if you're looking at your periodontal numbers, you may say like, well, I don't want to base what I'm doing every day on if I'm raising this percentage over here. But if you're raising that percentage, you're also helping more people achieve health and reach their goals of oral health. So sometimes we can just blend that for the team to make sure the team realizes these numbers do have a true impact on how we affect people.
0: They do. And now we're in a different day and age in data. I'm 53. I've been doing this for a long time. I've probably been in several hundred, if not a couple thousand morning huddles. And this is how it was 20 years ago. Our production for today is this. We collected this much last year. Yesterday, we're off this much on production. This it's more than half of the huddle was about money. What money was coming in, what was sold. What was collected, how much we're how much we're behind on the money and the money and the money. Now it's a whole different day. The money is the byproduct. It's important to keep track of all that. But when you're doing the right things for patient care during the day, we always say huddle is about patient care, team meetings are about practice care. So make sure that you're clear with your team as a leader and as a team, you can just improve everything, you know, when it comes to the day. There's so many opportunities. For efficiency, such as like schedule utilization, which we're going to talk about, appointment flow, and then resource allocation on what we do in that respect. Anything you guys would add about efficiency in these in these buckets?
1: I just really like the huddle voice. I think we should get more of that. In the
0: you like that? Of, <laughs>
1: you know, sound like oh, Charlie yesterday, week, teacher's this- voice, yeah.
0: Well, you know, you guys know how this is. I I love my family. So I have four kids and I have an amazing wife. And so whenever I say something, they go, you know, yesterday you said like this, like we had (laughs) to go like, I don't sound like, so so, (laughs) you're going to find we love doing education. We like having fun and we're real people here. So it's fun having a little fun. So um, alignment with the team, too. This is probably one of my favorite is just alignment, because when you're out of alignment, Ultimately, the relationship is going to fail, but consistently tracking and reporting on the data fosters collaboration and communication. We talk about accountability a lot, but accountability requires some type of accounting. It's not, I'm doing my best. It allows us to be talking about the same things. So when we can agree on a number, we now can work together on the motions that support that number. What gets tracked gets improved or what gets measured gets improved, but what gets measured and reported on significantly or exponentially improves. If I'm bringing you a number that we have both agreed, this is an important number, and it's going up just a little bit every week, we are as happy as can be. And everyone can see and understand what's driving the decisions. It's not about money. It's not about getting another boat or you know those types of things. We're trying to make a number healthy. And it just creates a common effort towards a common goal. Anything you guys would add? Because I could talk for an
2: hour. I think you're crushing it.
0: Okay, good. Accountability tracking data requires transparency with your team. I love having some type of data anywhere. I mean, go to a baseball game. If you guys are watching the playoffs right now, you can't watch more than three minutes without a ton of data Falling all over the screen. They're making decisions on pitchers, left handed versus right hand, spray charts, all of this stuff. You can't run a baseball team, even if it's a kid's baseball team, without some type of data. That's why we have Game Changer as parents to keep the crazy parents from yelling too much because all you have to do is show them the batting average and they quiet down. So it's fun. And I was one of those, I'm like, I think my son's better. Oh, he's not that good. He should bat. Eighth or ninth, so it allows for objective performance evaluation and encourages team members to own their role. So you got to have some accountability. Now, this is a big one. This is the biggest part of the webinar and what we're going to share with you today. So I think a big piece is understanding data. The day and age that we're in dental practices now is way different than the old days. Use data. In a positive light, but people always ask us like, what data should we be tracking? I could spend four hours on data you should track, but we're going to give you some of the big ones. And what we say internally with our clients and as a coaching team is we've got to define some KPIs. Those are key performance indicators. These are metrics that serve as benchmarks for our overall practice, health, and progress. And so let's start with one here. It's new patient acquisition and retention. New patients are the number of patients that had the first completed visit in the practice, and they're counted as a new patient by the ADA code. Now, as you can see, if you're looking at the screen, we love dental intel. And if you're a client of ours, you know how important this is. We keep these numbers very much apparent. It's important for the practices. To now, there's another number that's associated with new patients because, Remember, everybody's putting all this in. Oh, I get four hundred new patients. Well, that's great, but you don't see half of them. Half of them cancel. Whatever. That's a lot of money to to attract those types of patients. I think every practice should have new patients. They should be the right type of patients for your practice. You have to know the number for your practice. There's another number that's called recaptured. This is the number of patients who have not completed a visit within the past eighteen months. But now have completed a visit and are brought back into the practice. We've lost them. They've become inactive. And so now somebody on the team has worked hard to get them back in the practice. You need to know that number. And there's another number that's important with this. It's called loss. It's the number of patients who have fallen into the category of not having a completed visit. Now your software can collect this information automatically. Usually it's 18 months. Some people are going out to 24 because of COVID. That's legit. But as a practice, you got to decide what's the threshold. And in most practices, it's about 18 months. So as you can see in this example, we had 22 new, 22 recaptured, but we lost 82. The net growth was negative 38. And so you do the sum total of the math. So let's just review, you know, when you're looking at number of new patients, especially in a great practice like this one, it's hard to get those new patients. And then our team is working really hard to recapture these patients that are good patients. And ultimately, we let 82 fall off the threshold and the growth is negative 38. How important is this in the practices we talk to? Miranda, Barrett, anything you guys would add?
2: This is one of my favorite pieces because what I often will hear from teams and we go back to feelings of, I feel like we're doing really well. We crush it with new patients. We have at least 20 patients every month, new patients. And I'll say, Let's take a look at what our true patient growth is though, because that is a little bit different. You are crushing it with new patients and good job. Cause like you said, lots of money goes into acquiring those new patients. We're wowing those patients. We're winning them over with that experience, hopefully. But if we're not looking at those pieces in the middle, especially the lost, then all of that effort in the end is for not because we're not actually growing the practice over time. So I think this equation and this section here of reporting is really important. And if we're seeing a really high number in that lost, setting up some type of plan with our administrative team to be capturing those and hopefully adding them back into your recaptured number. But it comes back to feelings versus what's the real data. So this is a good one to start off with with teams.
1: Love. Yeah and I, I didn't even I did, it took until I got personally dental until in my former practice where it wasn't just about new patients but it was also recaptured and lost and the whole equation it is a lot of energy and effort to onboard a new patient we want new patients it's easier to not lose a patient and keep them in your de- their dental home that they all already know, as well as recapture. So we're not ever gonna say don't get new patients, but if you give equal intentionality to not losing and recapturing those patients that just have gone over that 18 month, then if you do have a down month in new patients, it's not as big a deal.
0: Yeah, so important. The data always leads to other questions too. Some of you are trying so hard to get all these new patients. You've got 572 unscheduled active patients. There's, I don't have that as a slide in here, but I love this stuff. All you have to do is start looking at this and you'll instantly say, okay, we need to know the story behind that. Another number that's really important is the percentage of new patients who reappointed for their hygiene appointment. Now, Miranda, this is a big one in the practices you coach. I want you to talk about this one.
2: So this one's really important because of what we just said, how much effort, time, energy it takes to bring new patients in and how many of those patients are leaving without a next scheduled visit or they're just scheduled for a restorative appointment. What we know about our hygiene department is that's where we build our patient loyalty over time, right? They're going to be coming back again and again and again. So we're going to be serving them, building relationship. And then also that drives more treatment options down the line as long as they stay with us. So this is a really, really important thing to look at. We crushed it, 22 new patients last month. But if only seven of those new patients are actually rescheduled within your practice, how much effort did you put out for that return? And so getting a really good idea of if we've rescheduled them, but not even just rescheduled them, have we rescheduled them within our hygiene program of care?
0: Right, now let's go into the complexity of this. Some of you are listening go, well, every one of my new patients goes through the doctor. You know, we do the doctor thing first, you know, which I agree. Okay, I'm please don't make fun of my voices. I just I love this stuff. Okay, that's so cool. A lot of times you work so hard to get this patient referred in your fee for service and you get this patient come in and they need seventeen thousand five hundred dollars worth of restorative work. So you do an awesome new patient exam and then your treatment coordinator stalks them over and over and over and over and they're not they're not turning your phone call and you're just pummeling them with this $17,000 thing that they have to decide on. Now think about this. That's a great new patient. They're not tethered to your practice because they don't have a hygiene appointment and ultimately they're not gonna return your call. That patient may not be ready to hear the $17,000 thing, because the previous dentist they went to said nothing was wrong. You might refer the patient out. You might think, okay, this is a great patient. They got to go to the oral surgeon. What a lost opportunity that is. So I want you to think about this. Every new patient, and I do mean every, if they're the right practice for your practice, has to have a hygiene appointment. So however you decide to have patients come through your practice, have the mindset as a team that we're going to get them scheduled. I w- if I was working your front desk, this is when I'd say, okay, we do a lot of different cool things here. Okay, Mrs. Jones, let's do this. I am going to refer you out to our oral surgeon but before that. I- well, actually, I'm going to schedule two appointments. I'm going to get you scheduled with our oral surgeon, but I'm also going to get you scheduled with Sally. She's one of our amazing hygienists. I might even schedule a third appointment with Dr. Straub here. So I'm going to have you locked in, tethered somehow to the practice before we hang up the phone. Does that make sense? It's just, it's one of the biggest lost opportunities in dentistry. Miranda, I know you're very gifted with verbal skills. Anything else you would say on the phone about this?
2: I think you mentioned it perfectly. And I think that's the key point because we do hear that a lot of times from teams. Well, that person got referred. um, So they had to have endo first or they came back for a crown. So we do have them scheduled for their next visit. And so exactly what you just said. So let's just schedule two appointments and maybe we schedule hygiene three months out but at least they're scheduled. And like you said, tethered to our practice. So I don't know that I could say it any better than you did. Hey,
0: Sal, you,
2: you crushed it.
0: I get a gold star right there. That's pretty gold cool. Star. <laughs> All right, cool. So make sure you put a system in place. And again, one of the data points that you would like to measure that you should measure is how many you know, how many patients, new patients have a hygiene appointment in there and dental dental does that great. Now, another thing you could do is you can break down your new patients. Again, it's back to new patients. It's great to get the right new patients, but we need to understand how, where are they coming from? And so by referral source is critical in your practice. It allows you to better understand how successful your marketing is. And if you don't have this, you're just guessing and throwing money everywhere. So if you pull up again, Dental Intel, you can see there's a source here and you can see there's areas of no data where team members did not put in the source. Now, Miranda, you have a great anecdote for this. Can you share what you used to do?
2: Yeah, this was a big one for me when I was a practice administrator. And just you can run these new patient reports within your practice management software if you don't have Dental Intel. But as you can see, Dental Intel makes it so easy for us. And so um, as the administrator, if you were a practice owner, you could do this, an office manager, you could do this. Just run this report through Dental Intel. And then you're going to give that report to your scheduling coordinator who's responsible for entering in the new patients and including their referral data. And you're going to say, hey, I see that you did a really great job with three of these, but I see that seven of them are missing our referral source. I need you to update their chart for me. And so that ownership goes back on them, right? And they can start tracking data for each month. What percentage of improvement are they having and having missing referral data versus, hey, here they love it when the report comes in, they'll print it for you and say, look, it's 100% this month. And so it's just putting that back into their hands because they own that data.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask you a loaded question, but why wouldn't you just fill that in for them?
2: Because it's, it's not gonna, it's, right, teach someone to fish, create right. the accountability. Um, it's not my responsibility to make sure that that is being accounted for. And maybe they don't know. Maybe right. I haven't, as a leader, set an expectation for them that this is something that I need. Maybe this is new data that we're tracking that we've never really tracked in the practice before, but now we're starting to see uh, a trend towards wanting to make sure our marketing dollars are working for us, so this is new. So it's my responsibility as a leader to set my team up for, for success, with clear expectations. And so for me, explaining this report and what's expected month after month and watching them watch that data grow just puts that accountability back into that role.
0: I love it. And just if you're listening as a team member, please understand this. We're practice coaches. So our whole goal with this webinar, with everything that we share is to help you create a better practice and better life. And a lot of it goes back to disciplines and systems. This is a system that has to be done. It's not asking anyone to do more work. This system allows us to get better. And when it's done correctly, it gives us great insight and saves a lot of time. So it's very important to have that. Now, another thing that we're very big on, if you come to anything we do, it's schedule optimization, capacity. Now, one thing that I do want to say, there's a capacity issue in dentistry. We're going to talk about maximum or optimum, optimal capacity capacity. It could mean that every chair in your operatory is full every day that you decide to work, whether it be four days or whatever, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. In almost every dental practice, optimal or maximum capacity is an issue of willingness, not ability. Every practice can have their chairs full at 95%. You just have to know what to do and you have to want to do it. So please don't watch this and go, well, you don't understand our area. No, that's not true with some great training, with a willingness, with some understanding, with some great coaching, every single practice in the United States can have a 95% capacity. Now the question becomes, what do you want it full with? And that's another issue. But one of the things that we do, if you're willing, is that we have a schedule optimization capacity tracker. And this is a great one because it just, it's very simple. It allows to, you know, share some accountability. And what you want to do with a tool like this is you want to know what percentage do you have patients in the chair? And so this is your hygiene. And Barrett, you want to speak to this because this is one of your favorite things of all time.
1: Yeah, capacity is is pretty simple. It's retroactive. You have to look historically and say of all the hours available in a chair in operatory number two, how many of those patient hours was there a butt in the chair? It's as simple as that. And it's seven of eight, eight of eight, six of eight hours, whatever your um, hourly offerings are. And that's super important to know. Let me tie a few things together here, because many dentists look at the morning schedule and say, we are so darn busy only to find out actually only at 85%. That same dentist often says, we are so darn busy. I need to build out two operatories. I need to buy a new office. I need to hire another hygienist. And if you have two hygienists and they're only 80% at capacity, then wouldn't you first just fill their chair before a capital expenditure of more ops, more um, another office, another hygienist. So, you know, co- going back to new patients, you know, what one of the things we're going to talk about next week at our, To The Top Study Club is business uh, strategy and what kind of business model you're in. And so unless you can say, I'm in this business model and knowing I'm in this business model, that means I need X new patients. Then uh, my first question is going to be, well, how many new patients do you need? And so if... There there are two different models. We see dentists that have 2,100 active patients per dentist, and we see practices with 1,000 active patients per dentist. And those are two different models, and I'm not going to say either is right or wrong, but one practice needs 44 new patients a month, and the other needs like eight. And so new patients by itself means very little unless you know your annual patient value. So when I get a new patient, how much do I bill or how much dentistry does all my new patients do annually? And so we're going to start getting into some KPIs here about treatment acceptance and filling the chair. And those things make sure that when we do have new patients and we do put them in the chair, we're actually going to get some annual patient um, value. And so eventually you want to say, I'm attracting 44 new patients but my annual patient value is $200. Well, great. What if you had eight new patients at $1,000 annual patient value? So now we, then the next level is to say, not only am I going to attract new patients, I'm going to attract the good kind of new patients that show up, that accept my treatment, that give me more of a return on my investment in them. I'm going to make sure my chairs are filled with more of these right patients And when you start to connect all the dots like that, your revenue goes up, your happiness goes up, your predictability goes up, but we have to first, as you're doing this data analysis, we have to say, what kind of business am I am and how do I want it to feel? And it's not about, it's not about production and -hmm. it's not about new patient values. It's so much more than those two numbers. And we're going to get into that here in a minute.
0: Absolutely. And so if you're listening to this, if I was a hygienist in your practice, I would actually enjoy this. Give it to me at the beginning of the month and I'm going to report back to you at the end of the month on how full I made my chairs. Now, I might start at 75% because it's my first month in your practice. My second question is going to be like, okay, so Lucy, she's at 92%. What is she doing that I'm not doing that I could improve my percentages? By having the transparency around this, we can share best practices within a practice, that we're all using the right verbal skills. Lucy might have great verbal skills. She might be, be doing this for 15, 20 years and she's learned a few things. The other thing too, is if I'm at 75% in month one, I don't want to give this to you as the doctor in month two and go, yeah, it went down 74%, killing it. You know, what I mean? my, my hope is by giving this to you, it's getting better and you could be my coach and go, hey, listen, it's a place to start. All we're looking for is progress, not looking for perfect we should just be looking for progress. So that's one big key piece.
2: Another okay, last, real quick, that last piece that you just had up real quick, the profitability is directly impact impacted by optimizing your capacity as a team. What do we all show up to work for? Yes. To take care of people, but to get a paycheck. Yes. Right. And that's how the office pays us is by having butts in the chair. And so the, As a hygienist, I've told this story before, and I'm just going to loop it in. And I know Chris, who works with us, has said the same thing. I used to get so excited when someone (laughs) canceled first thing in the morning, before or after lunch, and at the end of the day, it was the best times to have someone not show up. It was like a relief. I was like celebrating it until I realized the importance of capacity and what that actually meant for the practice. And in the end, what that meant for me and my ability to grow economically within the practice. So that last piece that we kind of pushed past there, your profitability of the practice, but also for you as a team member is directly impacted by optimizing capacity.
0: Love it. Love it. So well said. Another data point you should be tracking is treatment acceptance rate. Now, let me just say this. Welcome. Welcome to the single most understood metric in all of dentistry. You asked as how's your treatment scouting? Yeah, 99%. I feel like that
2: one deserved a good voice. Welcome.
0: Welcome to the (laughs) most, you you get enough people in a room, you're going to get 13 different opinions on treatment acceptance. And I'll tell you, they're all useless. Let me explain in just a little bit. We got to start somewhere. And so let me break this down as simple. Now, our friends at Dental Intel, I like this. They characterize it, you know, patient treatment diagnosis, PTD percentage. So it's the total number of patients diagnosed. It's the number of patients diagnosed with a procedure divided by the number of exams. So let's take a look at a practice. It's a great practice again that we coach. What's the percentage of patients seen for exams that were diagnosed with treatment? So as you can see, this is a three-doctor practice. They had 670 exams, and they diagnosed, of those, 392, which puts their percentage at 59%. This is how it's defined in the software. So if you want to know that, there's actual literal definitions for that on the procedure codes that happen. So that percentage is really important. And I think it's an important percentage for the doctors to pay attention to. One of the questions that comes up consistently is, okay, great. We have KPIs that our doctors measure, that our admin teams measure, that our hygiene teams measure, but what would a chair-side assistant measure on a quarterly basis? And so this is a great KPI that if you have a chair-side assistant, just partner with them and say, you got to keep me accountable because they will, right? Miranda, give us some... Insight on that.
2: Yeah, I think this is a really great one for a clinical auxiliary team member. This can work for hygienists too, because there's exams obviously being conducted within hygiene. But when we go back to new patient exams, or an emergency exam, or a limited exam, there there are less for the assistants to track, and by way that they're not providers individually within the practice. So this is a great one to loop them in to be able to help support keeping their restorative schedule full by holding the doctor accountable and the team accountable to building value and treatment and patient opportunities. So I agree with you. Like if we have to allocate an assistant would be great to serve on that KPI.
0: Absolutely. And this is a solid indicator of future production potential, right? Give us some insight on that too.
2: Yeah, when you're looking at your, you know, if your diagnostic percentage is at 19% month over month, I have a feeling that you're going to start seeing your next month and the next month's schedule, not hitting capacity. If we're at 59%, which you can see in this example here is over their goal, then we know that more than half of the patients that we saw in this last month were diagnosed with some form of treatment. Now, when we compare that to our acceptance rate, which we're going to talk about in a minute we will, those two together are really gonna tell the story for what can we predict our schedule will have for us moving forward and what financial success are we walking into? Or what do we need to improve upon because we might not be walking into financial success next month.
0: Yeah. And again, back to the beginning, the whole philosophy, don't be overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, I gotta talk about more. No, all we're gonna do is start tracking it Mm because the number itself tells us a lot. It tells us how we could be better. If you have a chair site assistant, it's like, okay, listen, you're at 17%. You should talk about something, you know, today. So it's just good to start. can we also
2: say that again, it comes back to the numbers. So I always like to speak to that benefit to the patient. What I see when I see someone go from 30% diagnostic percentage to 59 is that many more patients that are reaching health and having an opportunity for a greater level of health or... If we're talking about elective, we're meeting more and more of their dental goals. Maybe the treatment is veneers, but that's something they've wanted for themselves for a really long time. And we brought it up and we had a good conversation about value and now they're moving forward. So when we look at that number, we can see the dollars and the profitability that brings to the practice, which is incredibly important, but we can also see a handful or 29% of patients from our practice that now are in a place where they have a greater opportunity to engage in health because we've put these systems in place and we're monitoring for that.
0: 100%. 100%. Now, you mentioned it. We're going to talk about acceptance. And I like how Dental Intel characterizes PTA percent, patient treatment acceptance. Trying to compare your PTA percentage to anyone else's is difficult unless you guys have the same exact skill set, equipment, systems, patient demographics, staffing. So don't try to compare. Your only comparison is with yourself. So that's an important piece. Now let's talk about PTA patient treatment acceptance percentage. It's the percentage of patients that actually said yes, not the dollar amount, percentage of patients. So as you can see, Presented in the same scenario, 546 accepted 492. Now you're gonna see that number's different. And the reason it's different is because in the software, these are procedures in which the ADA, uh, the exam procedure code wasn't on the appointment. So don't get all wrapped up in the numbers. But I think one of the most important things is to pay attention to this percentage over time and it becomes very powerful. You can take a look at this percentage Further, by looking at the dollar amount, which we'll talk about in a second. But I want you to describe this, um, Miranda, because this is this is where it kind of gets confusing. And so, please, can you share this?
2: Yes. I want to do one of those voices. Welcome to the most confusing <laughs> <laughs> data point. So, this is one that confuses teams often. So, the patient acceptance is, like you said, what percentage of patients move forward with something. They've scheduled something within the same day that that treatment was entered into the treatment plan. The difference with the treatment dollar amount acceptance, which we're going to get into a little bit more, is of the dollar amount presented, what percentage of that was scheduled? So a great, easy explanation that I share with teams is if you presented and treatment planned four crowns for a patient today, and that patient scheduled one crown, their acceptance, their patient acceptance number would be 100% because you had one patient who was recommended treatment and that one patient moved forward. That's 100%. But if we take that into the treatment dollar amount acceptance, it's going to be 25%, right? Because only 25% of the dollar amount of that treatment plan was actually scheduled.
0: Very good.
2: The easiest explanation.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and then so, one more thing on top, Kirk. I mean, these three go together. So the diagnostic is how often the acceptance is how good are you at presenting? So it, if I look at this practice, I'm going to say when you do present something, you're really good at getting acceptance. So we know that when you diagnose something, there's a 90% chance that patient is going to accept something. So do more of it if if you need to. Now, the third leg of that is when you do diagnose and you have 90% acceptance, how much are you diagnosing and presenting? So the three really go together. And if you're not diagnosing at all, we got to start there. And then you want to get good at it. So your acceptance goes up. And then we want to do more of it. So their financial ROI goes up all within the ethical boundaries, obviously. But these three really tell a story. Um, and the dollar amount's the hardest to, to figure out long-term. And, and that's why it kind of comes last. So well said.
0: So really? let's talk about the dollar amount. Dollar treatment presented. So there is, a, there is, you know, this is an important KPI. It can be defined as all the dollars of treatment that I presented to my patients. And so Dental Intel tracks that. Now, the DTA percentage is dollar treatment accepted. So as you can see, these are two different. They can be defined as the dollars that I presented that were actually the patients that accepted the percentage. So let me go back here. And so as you can see in this practice, 56% of the dollars were accepted of what was presented. Anything you guys would add about this?
2: The only other thing I'll add is that this can get a little wonky if you present multiple treatment plans, if you give more than one option, uh, a consolation option and an ideal option, and if that isn't rejected within your practice management software right away. So I do find that some teams find it a little harder to predict the accuracy of this if they are a practice that maybe functions comprehensively. And they're giving like a full mouth approach or a quadrant option or something to that effect. So that can skew it a bit. So you do also then, if you see that number, it doesn't doesn't feel quite right. The eye test is a little off. You can dig a little deeper and you might need to look at, are we rejecting the treatment plans that the patients aren't moving forward with so that we're getting an accurate representation of that actual statistic?
0: Right. And I'm going to stick to my guns, what I said earlier, like looking at industry standards or whatever really isn't super valuable for you. You want to start somewhere and then you want to get better against yourself. But if you go to the website, you'll see there's a lot of information on that number. What's a healthy number. And according to dental Intel across 10,000 practices, what's the average DTA, you're going to find the top 10% of practices are at 59%. So again, you know, there's information out there. The thing that you need to know is we got to start somewhere and then start You know, we're all about progress, not about being perfect. The bottom line is that treatment acceptance, just focus on your own, your own internal numbers instead of trying to compare yourself or your buddies or your friends that you go to at all these institutes, because that can feel discouraging at times. So our encouragement is just got to start somewhere. Now, let's talk about the PERIO data. And Miranda, tell us about the PERIO data in these three buckets.
2: Sure. So starting out the first whole part of my career as a hygienist, these are some of my favorite ones. So within Dental Intel, you can see the screenshot here. These can also be tracked within your practice management reporting, but there's three primary data points within the periodontal assessment to see if your periodontal protocol is working. So the first one that we are talking about here is periodiagnostic. So in the same way that we were looking at diagnostic treatment from the restorative side, we're looking at out of the number of hygiene patients that we're seeing for an exam, what percentage of those were treatment planned for some form of periodontal therapy. Um, all those perio codes, our gingivitis therapy code, are 4341 or 4342. So how many of those left today with a treatment plan diagnosed periodontal therapy? And then we're going to take that to the next level in the same way we did with the restorative and what's our acceptance rate. So now we've diagnosed this many, which is great but how are we doing with how we're explaining that, the value that we're building and how does our administrative team help navigate those conversations to get patient acceptance. And so that acceptance number is gonna tell us of those 10 individuals that were treatment planned with periodontal codes today, how, how many of them, we divide that number and we get a percentage that tells us what percentage accepted treatment and scheduled to move forward. And the last piece of that, which is kind of the culmination of all of this is your perio visit percentage. And that's the metric that tells us of the number of hygiene patients that were seen within a given period of time for, for hygiene visit, what percentage of those were periodontal services? So that's going to include your, um, 4341, 4342, your therapeutic services, the 4346 gingivitis code, as well as periodontal maintenance. And if you incorporate debridement, the 4355 into your practice. So, you know, what we know is that. Over 60% of our patients, some, and depending on the research you look at, 70% or more of, of people in the in the world here have periodontal infection of some kind or some type of periodontal disease maintained or active. And so if we're at 8% in terms of our perio visit percentage in the practice, there's probably some room for growth to be providing an elevated level of care for some patients. And so we look at diagnostic of those, how many accepted? And then that will drive our perio visit percentage to let us know that ratio of how many patients we see in hygiene or perio versus preventative.
0: I love it. I love it. Now, a couple more, because we could talk about data all day long, is you want to take a look at gross production. We're big fans of paying attention to the gaps, and the gross production is the sum of all production charged to a patient based on your master fee schedule and billing out your full fees and gross production itself is a little bit of a challenge can you guys just talk about what we constantly learn about gross production and how important this is
2: i feel like this is barrett's wheelhouse
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> i think gross production is the least valuable <laughs> metric that we track tell us why and because we can sh- we'll sh- we've shown our to the top study members all the time two different 2 million dollar practices and both have v- greatly varying amounts of profit going back home with the doctor. And so while gross production is simply an output, your business has the ability to output X amount of dentistry. Now, obviously the higher the output, the more opportunity there is to um, return a profit, but whether you are able to or not depends on all the details and the gaps below production and our financial gaps are where money is leaving the practice via write offs via lack of collections via overhead expenses and then via cash flow or cash financing activities and so we've all all of us dentists have been at at a lunch table at an institute with a bunch of guys and gals bragging about production and now knowing what i know i wish i would have said yeah but what's your write-offs, what's your lack of collections, what's your overhead, because that's the true meat of it. So if you can produce a lot, awesome. It's a great starting point. But if you stop there and don't um, look at the gaps, that's why most of us at one point of our career said, I am producing a lot of dentistry. Why don't I have more money in the bank? And that's where the gaps comes in.
0: Yeah. And then speak about net production and collections and how important it is to really pay attention to all
1: three? Um, Our gross production is our output. So we hire, we staff, we buy supplies, we buy technology based on being able to provide that output, which is your gross production. The national average of um, dentists that participate participate in PPOs is a 42, 43% write-off. So in that instance, I was just looking at gaps yesterday with a 42% write-off, that's 42% out the door before we even take revenue. So your collections is your revenue. So obviously, if you have a 42, that's a big gap between your output and your revenue. Now, when we go and talk to our CPAs and we get advice, they don't talk about production. They don't talk about like, how good are you at collections? They talk about revenue. So that starts the top of the PL starts at your revenue, but there's two gaps above that. So one, how much are you writing off? And then your net production is your collectible amount. Your net production is the maximum amount of revenue you're going to have in a time period. So if you're not collecting 100% of that, let's say you're only collecting 95% of net production, we see that all the time. That is literally 5%, whatever that dollar value, doctor, that's right out of your wallet. You might as well have just pulled that money out, written a check and given it back because that's what lack of collections is. So production, write-offs, net production. And then of that net production, how big of the gap or what percentage less than 100 are you collecting? If you pay attention to those two numbers alone, even before overhead, your profitability is gonna go up.
0: Yeah, and this is a great practice, 96.1% collections. but there's opportunity there, great opportunity. You know, over time. So again, those are those are dollars that are missed. And every time you make one gap a little bit healthier, one more dollar of profit falls to the bottom line. That's why it's really important to pay attention to this data. It's amazing to me how many dentists have no idea how much they're writing off, how much they're working for free. And 42% write-offs makes no sense in any business anywhere in the world. But yet dentists just say,
1: let's go, let's keep rolling. So Kirk, go back to that that practice real quick. I just want to point some on. This is our gaps calculator, which all our clients get. Their net production is 3 million. So that means that's, they could collect that. They just have to collect what is due. They collected 96. What's 4% of 3 million? What should be in the bank that's not $120,000? So 96 is like, that's almost 100. That's really good. Yeah, but there's $120,000 that should have been collected. Um, so when you put it in numerical value, it's like, wow, that's a lot of money. We're going to pay attention to collections now.
0: For sure. Again, every piece of data provides opportunity. And so with that opportunity, we've got to identify gaps, performance gaps. And so what Bear just described is what's really cool is you could do this on your own, we do this for all of our clients, is identifying how hard you work. And that's the effort gap. It's a comparison of the effort invested. And a lot of people are working super hard. Just talked to a dentist that was working more than 220 days. This, you know, this week, I was just talking, I'm like, you work harder than most dentists I've ever met. And writing off a significant amount of dentistry. And I asked him what the plan was. I'm not sure what the plan is. Well, you need a plan. So. And then there's opportunities where you can identify with the collections gap. Now, the overhead gap is another gap because overhead is climbing. Your team wants to be better compensated. You wanna be better compensated. You wanna have a profit. And so knowing your overhead, and again, it's not about making sure that it's the best. It's just starting somewhere. You might start this process and go, my overhead's 78%. Well, that's fine. Let's go to 76%. Then let's go to 73%. And again, each time you do that, It adds one more dollar to the bottom line. And then you've got a cash flow gap, which is the difference between your net profit and true profit, which is the bottom of your P&L. See, your dental accountant says, you're doing great. You're doing so great. So proud of you. Look at that. And you see the bottom. You're like, wow, we made $200,000. Well, it doesn't have your loan payments. It doesn't have your tax payments in there. You're like, why don't I have any money? you would be shocked by how many dentists produce more than 1.2 million dollars and have no money that's where a big opportunity exists is that cash is just flying out of the cash flow gap so it's important to know those performance gaps and tighten them up it reduces the stress it makes you feel better you actually feel at the end of the day wow i could do this long term this this does work it's so cool when you know the data you think to yourself, "I could do this long term," instead of just thinking, "I got to sell soon." Don't think like that. Now,
2: countermeasures I just, are. I just oh, say go. one thing really quick. Uh, what I love about our Gaps tool, and as a coach with ACT and working with teams through this, you know, I just want to say to anyone who's listening who doesn't who who's like, "That's me. I don't know my PNL. I don't know my numbers. I don't know what's going to the." That's okay. You're not alone. We have people in our room at To the Top who have been practicing 20 years who are learning to analyze this for the first time. And we have doctors that are just coming out of school in the room who are learning how to do this for the first time. There is no shame in your game. You just start where you are. And it's one of my favorite things is to help a doctor or a practice owner to really, truly understand. What's coming in and where every penny is going, and feel really confident going into those conversations with their financial planners and their CPAs and their accountants, where they normally just kind of show up and just kind of it's like taking your car to the shop and they're like, you need this and you're in shape with that. But this, and you're like, okay. But like, I just love the empowerment that it's created within our doctors and practice owners of them feeling really, really confident and understanding their business better. So don't be afraid of where you're starting off. Like, knowing this information is step one.
0: So well said. So well said. And last but not least is the countermeasures. That's truly a great secret for thriving practices. Now, I fell into this bucket years ago. We look at data and go, well, it's not good. All right, keep going. We would just do it week over week and talk about data that wasn't good. That's still not good. Let's just go on to something else that we can control. When you have data that's not good. You have to teach your team and yourself. We've got to apply a countermeasure. Now, a countermeasure is done in almost every part of the world. My son is type 1 diabetic. We go in and find out what his A1C is. When it's not good, they do countermeasures. They adjust, adjust insulin levels. We change diet. We do, there's things, you, you go to a cardiologist, your cholesterol is not good. We're going to apply countermeasures. Kids on a baseball diamond can go, wow, we're three runs down. We should probably do something. We're going to start applying some countermeasures. So in a business, you can start to apply countermeasures. You can start to think of systems that we can improve. A lot of times it goes back to a system. By analyzing this data, we can see where there's a gap in a system. And we see this all the time as coaches, right?
2: Yeah, the data is really, it points it out for you. So if we're looking at, you know, what do we want to focus on moving forward, we can think about what's feeling off in the practice. And sometimes we need to travel down that direction too. But if we see a consistent uh, metric or a series of metrics, when we go back to looking at, I love how Barrett put together the diagnostic patient acceptance and the treatment dollar amount and how it's really a tiered approach. So if we can see that like something around that is off. So now we might know that systematically we need to really improve. Maybe it is starting at the diagnostic piece and how we talk about treatment chair side and calibrating with our team members on what we're looking for in the chair. But if we're doing really great at that, then maybe the next system is actually, how do we present that? Cause we're doing great, but not enough people are scheduling. So this data is what can really drive where you wanna put the intention behind the systems and the effort that you're putting into your team and into your practice.
0: Absolutely. bearing anything you wanna add about countermeasures? They're critically important in a great practice.
1: Um, You have to do them, right? <laughs> you track data and then you can feel bad about the data or you can say, okay, I know where I'm at now, and I'm going to put some countermeasures in. So when you're not sleeping at night and you're looking at the ceiling fan that Kirk talked about, when I don't sleep at night and I'm looking at the ceiling fan, it's because I don't feel I have control over what's giving me anxiety. As soon as you put countermeasures in, even before you fix any financial metric, all of a sudden you sleep better because you're like, I have a plan, I'm taking action, and I'm controlling my destiny. So don't beat yourself up to data, just make a solution and start small and incremental and incremental progress over a handful of years makes incredible, incredible improvement. Love it.
0: Love it. Any final thoughts you guys have or questions in the feed? I can't see the feed, but
2: I've been answering some Q and A's as we go. (laughs) <laughs> um, there was a question just a moment ago that I was actually just chatting with someone about, and they were asking like, how is this impactful as an associate? So if I'm not a practice owner as an associate, how does this information or this, you know, help me? And so what I was just sharing with him, and I'd love your thoughts too, is or I say him, it could be a her get me yeah. uh, with them is that you know, as a associate, you are technically an employee at this time. And so in the same way that our auxiliary team members can own their own data, you can start to look at your own development as an associate and how you can grow within that practice, which is going to grow your experience and grow your profitability and your value to the practice. And the other piece I thought of was like, what if you do want to take on practice ownership one day? So the more you understand and know about all of the KPIs and the data within the different departments, that'll benefit you there too. What do you guys think as an associate, what the value is in this information?
0: Oh my gosh, it's one of the best questions of all time. I'll just tell you what I say in my house all the time. I tell my kids this, don't you dare go to the world and ask the world for anything. Go out in the world and become greatly valuable and people will come to you and go, I need you in my business. And I would say that to an associate. We just had, I just had conversations this week on podcast. With some great associates who are like, no, like, and owners are like, I would love an associate to bring value, to understand value. A big part of you taking a greater responsibility or bigger compensation is how valuable you become. So it's less about, I would say that even to a team member who's yep. like, well, this doesn't really apply to me. No, your wealth is a function of contribution. And most of it comes to value. When you get good at anything or understanding it, people want you. They look at you as a valued team member. So don't ever look at this as a passive experiment. No, I would in every instance go, how can I become more valuable to the world, to the practice, to other people, to my family? And you'll be amazed by what happens. Barrett, what would you say?
1: Absolutely. I mean, if if, as associate can take, knowledge to the practice and the senior doctor and improve the business, the value goes up. A second part of that, if there's two, let's say two hypothetical associates, both paid on a percent of collections and both produce $500,000 of dentistry a year. One has a 42% write-off over that production. The other has 8% write-off. Which one has more collections in which to make a percentage on? Likewise, one is one's um, team is collecting 92%, one is collecting 100%, which has a higher percentage of take-home pay based on the same $500,000. So these gaps really matter to senior doctors, associate doctors, any team member that's paid on some sort of profitability bonus. Um, they matter to everyone because when the practice does better, cumulatively, everyone benefits.
0: Yeah, love it. So well said. I love this. So hope you guys enjoyed today's webinar. We got a ton more coming your way. And as I mentioned earlier, please, you know, number one, share this uh, webinar with your team. If you need any help with the resources, please reach out to us. We're so happy to help you. Nothing makes us happier than knowing you're doing better as a result of getting some great education. Uh, join us for the TTT Study Club. You will absolutely love it and uh, utilize the golden ticket. I promise you, you will, you'll absolutely enjoy the time here. And um, I don't know. Is there anything else you guys want to add? No. A have
1: a great have day. Great. Yeah, have an awesome week. Have a great day, everybody.
0: And uh, we will see you guys soon. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.